What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are back from Thanksgiving. Uh, we took a week off uh, as, as you might expect, everybody sort of uh, goes to the four corners. That's right. Uh, over ho- over uh, holiday weekend, a lot of uh, working remotely and stuff. And it was sort of a sort of a, a somewhat down week. Yeah. News wise, not totally, but I guess the 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 last hearing was the was the Friday before Thanksgiving week. Yeah, I remember right. that. Yeah. Right. Yep. So yeah, there there was we kind of came off that two weeks exactly. of sort of intense, pretty nonstop yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we're back and we're going to talk about a bunch of different stuff. Before we do that, let me uh, remind you that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? Of course, everybody does. Uh, bad coffee shops. Right? We want all <laughs> coffee shops to go out of business. Uh, so does Grady's Cold Brew, or like they they don't want coffee shops to go out of business, but I'm saying, you know, everybody wants to save a buck. We're back on that. That's right. Back on that part. Uh, You asked and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans style coarse ground coffee blend designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker. One bag makes 24 servings of Grady's cold brew exactly the way you want. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or you can order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. Sounds, of course, then, then like you're, you're, you're feeding the Amazon exactly, yeah. monopoly behemoth, but sometimes you just need to, you need, you need your a coffee quick the fix, next exactly. day. Yeah, I, right. I must say, like, I, I, I despise Amazon, but like, I'm constantly ordering things on Amazon. <laughs> it's hard to avoid, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it is, it is, uh, it, it is hard to avoid. Yeah. Kate, a little social commentary. Yeah, right? Kate Regas here as always. How are you, Kate? Good. Fresh off a trip to Philadelphia, so nice. Full of uh, history. Saw the Liberty Bell. Feeling rested and rejuvenated. I hope. Exactly. And that's your homeland. That's my homeland. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So I took two Midwesterners to see the many splendors <laughs> the city has to <laughs> Sounds offer. Sounds good. And Matt Shuham is here. Hey, Matt. Hi. You were in Philadelphia too, right? Yeah. Well, in a suburb that I can't pronounce, where my second cousins live. No way. Um, yes. I dominated family Thanksgiving football. I feel sore. Excellent. Um, had a couple. <laughs> It is meals. a competition. So. Yeah, congratulations! No, it was a lot of fun. Uh, well, you know, you know what, uh, Millet and I are uh, forty-eight and fifty, and and we did our first Thanksgiving 
Like we did it. Oh, like, you, like hosted? you hosted? We nice. hosted the whole thing. How'd it go? You know, pretty well. Nice. Pretty well, surprisingly enough. It's hard to pull it off in a small New York City kitchen, I'm sure. Well, small, uh, I mean, yeah, we had two guests, okay. her, <laughs> less parents. So it wasn't, it was, we kept it, you know, we, That's we good. It was take intimate. it slow at yeah. first. But um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel nice. like I'm, I'm really an adult yeah, here. Yeah, totally. You know, well, well into midlife. So. Yeah. All right. Well, more impeachment news to come this week. The House Intelligence Committee, which, as we were mentioning at the top, held two weeks of pretty nonstop, intense long hearings with fact witnesses in the impeachment inquiry. I heard from EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland, Fiona Hill, a bunch of others who had uh, pretty damning things to say about the pressure campaign that Trump you know, orchestrated against the president there, uh, president of Ukraine. This week, the action moves more or less into the House Judiciary Committee. Um, before that, the Intel Committee tonight, Tuesday evening, will hold a vote to release their report you know, based on the depositions and various investigations. And that will be sent over to the Judiciary Committee, which will hold its first public hearing Wednesday. Wednesday tomorrow? Wednesday? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is on the constitutional and kind of legal basis for impeachment. So kind of what are the arguments? Right. doesn't sound exactly like gripping (laughs) television. Uh, The... The witnesses, three of which I think the Democrats were uh, able to select, and one which Republicans were. Oh, so Turley's the Republican guy. Right. So he's like, from the GW Law School. Um, I, yeah, I saw Brian Boiler tweeted that maybe his selection was to personally troll you in the hearing tomorrow. What's the story there? Well, the story is, is you know, you have to be an old person and have been an adult during the Clinton impeachment because during during those years... Uh, Turley, who was a law professor whose special whose uh, specialization was environmental law, kind of branded himself as the liberal, quote unquote, who was like thought it was really bad for Clinton and always like, you know, kind of, you know, sort of like an early version of the Fox News Democrat kind of. Right. Gotcha. Um, Except he like had no clear like uh, knowledge of of like criminal law or constitutional law, but he was the guy who was who was there to be able to say, ah, oh, even this liberal guy, Jonathan Turley, he's keeping it real, right. pretty bad for Clinton, this this thing and that thing and the other thing. And then, uh, so it's like a concern troll before like concern, concern trolling became an official thing. And then after 9-11, he was like a kind of like a terrorism expert, right? Um, and so, and he's, and, and he's continued to be the same thing basically forever. He's like a kind of like a, a, a TV, TV lawyer and, um, and just a buffoon. <laughs> and so the, yeah. I'm sorry, I should say Pamela Carlin, okay. a Stanford uh, law professor is mm-hmm. the other person. So just yeah. to include her in the list. I think, I think I'm right about that. I think Gerhardt is like. Uh, maybe written a book, like a sort of like the law book about impeachment. I, I think that's like, that sounds he, right. like there's kind of one guy, I mean, cause it's the kind of thing, like it's an odd specialty since it never happens. Right. You're right. going to have to kind of, you're going to have that specialty all to <laughs> right. yourself. Um, so, but I, I think that, I think I'm remembering that. So right. Josh, tell us, I mean, uh, most, the rest of us in this room are, are kind of too young to remember the Clinton impeachment theatrics in like a super, um, you know, clear way. Um, a hearing on the sort of legal and constitutional basis for impeachment is this something? Is that something that came up the last time around? What's I'm the What's sure. the purpose of having a, a hearing like that? 
not really sure there is any purpose, frankly, but um, I'm pretty sure that there was one because I seem to remember actually a, a, a college professor of mine, Sean Wilentz, I think was one of the Democrats witnesses uh, during during the uh, 1998 stuff. Um, and so I'm sure there must have been, you know, obviously uh, Republicans were in the, were in the majority. Uh, so I, I, I do remember that. And I mean, I will say this, just I was talking with, tweeting back and forth with a friend of mine who, who who's, who's a re- TPM reader going back almost to the beginning. He's now like the politics editor of, um, of The Atlantic. But we were saying kind of like, you know, I, personally, I'm really not so sure that law professors have a, have a great deal edifying to say about this topic. Yeah. You really want historians on there, but that's all I'll say about mm. that. Uh, but yeah, so they did have that. And frankly, like, I, you know, it's, I guess it's fine. You know, it doesn't really. It's, it's not it, damaging. It, it, it kind of, yeah. I mean, it or is. Or maybe it is, yeah. yeah. It's lame. Okay, what's your sense of that, this sort of phase of the impeachment inquiry? I mean, obviously, the testimonies in the last couple of weeks were pretty gripping mm-hmm. and really kind of firsthand accounts, basically, of what was happening. This is a totally different scenario, obviously. Yeah, to be honest, I think some degree of it is not wanting to step on the intel report that's going to come out tonight, because um, that's obviously going to dominate the headlines when you've got, you know, lawyers talking. Right. I think part of it might be a little bit easing people back in. You're going to be hard pressed to get people to really be like glued to their TVs and the news when everyone's in the post vacation hangover these first so couple of like days. It's, it's like counter food coma program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, I think what it's going to be more than anything else is just kind of a showcasing of the new Republican strategy that they've foreshadowed that's coming into this. Um, you know, they're kind of leaving the conspiracy theory stuff to Devin Nunes and then led by Doug Collins. They're going to move more into which sounds horrible, but uh, constant procedural bickering. So it sounds like there's going to be a lot of interruption, a lot of, you know, hair splitting on what does that term mean and what does this term mean? So, you know, we'll see if they whip that out this early with, you know, somewhat kind of, I mean, I know they're from the Democratic and Republican camp, but more middle of the line witnesses. Yeah, we saw a little bit of that on the Intel Committee, right, where there was this period of uh, staff counsel questioning and then Schiff, you know, he ran a pretty tight ship, I think, in Mm -hmm. these hearings. Um, You know, there was some griping from from the Republican members and the minority that there was an extra 15 minutes here and there mm-hmm. for the staff council and being able to allot your questioning time right. to a member when it was, you know, previously agreed upon there was only the, the staff lawyers or the ranking member and, and chairman. So yeah, it seems yeah. like maybe it'll be that, but like supercharged. Right. I think the- we can expect a bit more of that, not least because the thinking seems to be that Nadler is a little less agile than Schiff and not as good as, ext- you know, extemporaneous speaking and reacting. So I think they're, they're hoping to kind of shake him off his notes a little bit. That was the thing I was really struck by, like, Schiff was like just a beast. And in yeah. a very understated way, you'd have someone going like, and yada yada, and my point of mm-hmm. procedure and motion and, and all these different phrases. And he'd be like, yep, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and then, then yeah, just, it was it. interesting. I feel like you don't see that a lot from, we're not used to seeing Democrats kind of in that position of power. Yeah. And there's also, uh, you know, if in, in many cases, for good reasons, a lot of sense of collegiality. Sure. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to hear what your motion is. But at a, at, at a certain point, it's just sort of clear. You don't have a motion. You're just trying to fuck this up. And like, no. And he was. <laughs> and it's funny because like there's like a lot of things in life. Your power in a case like that is 
really a matter of assertion and a certain level of like charisma. Right. Like I can't make you shut up, right? Like I have to, at a certain point, I just have to kind of say, nope. And say it with a certain way that you're like, okay, I guess it's nope. Which right. is and, which and is how low energy. Um, yeah. he. That's why he was leading that part of it. I mean, it wasn't a given by any any. It doesn't say in the Constitution that the Intelligence Committee opens the investigation of you know. So that was taken from Nadler and given to Schiff for that reason. Which was, I think, everybody agrees, like a really good decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, what are you looking for this week? Um, I don't know from the hearings or or sort of other you know related action this week on the impeachment front. Well, so I agree with Kate that the job of the Intelligence Committee was to find facts, and it seems like this hearing will be in response to those facts as published um, in a quote-unquote narrative. I know that word is sort of toxic, but in, in, uh, responding to the narrative that is laid out by uh, the Intelligence Committee. Um, and I expect it will be, you know, based on historical and legal precedent, um, do these facts suffice uh, to impeach a president? Right. Um, and I expect that they will find that those that that, that is the case. Yeah, I, probably so. Uh, one thing I noticed, yeah, okay, so yesterday... Uh, I think I think they have this right. There was sort of a Republican rebuttal right. mm-hmm. released, but but I, someone met, someone flagged this on on Twitter that I noticed, and I think this is accurate. That when you actually look close, none of the members had signed it, and the actual text, you know, because normally majority gets to say the official thing, and then the minority says their rebuttal. They're the minority, but like, hey, we have a different view, whatever. Um, but in this case. None of them signed it, and apparently, at least according to this person, who I, I don't remember who it was, but not some like random in a basement or something like that, but another journalist pointed out that the actual introductory text basically said this was like a proposal to Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan. And this, this person pointed out, which I thought made a lot of sense, that this was done in such a way that it kind of gets it out there, but all the members can say, hey, I didn't sign on to that. So it gives that it kind of puts it out there, but mm-hmm. but no one's finger. It's just like a staff right. proposal or something. And it's from the Oversight Foreign Affairs and Intel Committee Republicans, right? I think it's more than it was more it's than more just the, the, yeah, okay, Intel. I, yeah, that, Intel that, Republicans. That, that, okay, uh, so that in a way, sure. it adds even a little bit a little of more removed. It's kind of like it. oh yeah, it was one of those right different committees. You know, well, what was and what was striking, at least on its own terms, is the report. Was, it wasn't saying. You know there are process problems, or you haven't met the bar. It was basically this was awesome. President had to do this. Glad he did it. He knocked it out of the park. Right. So, <laughs> it was so totally commit- legit to be skeptical of Ukraine and this and that. Yeah, yeah. Just just totally taking it at face value. And and I and I'm I, so I'm curious whether that will be their position because that that's that's a that's kind of one of those positions that is easier to be stating verbally in the sort of the back and forth of a hearing to kind of put it on paper and say yep this is awesome that's that's that kind of uh you can you can tell that a lot of the sort of the republican commentariat and certainly a lot of the senators they're 100 percent. you know we're not removing him from office but they want to be able to say yeah it wasn't perfect it could have you know that that Mm -hmm. like it could have been better sort of thing right um so I'm curious where that where that ends up. Yeah, I mean Trump himself, like you say, is over and over again saying it was a perfect call. 
he's trying to say he's exonerated or, you know, sort of cleared of any wrongdoing by Zelensky himself, even though that's not exactly the case. And so, yeah, there's not much room for Republicans to really diverge from that line. It's sort of like, well, the boss man is saying it's all good. So what are you supposed to saying. Yeah. One thing I am curious if, if they bring into the Judiciary Committee that was very present in the other three committees was the sort of whataboutism and the deflection um, pointing to, you know, Hunter Biden or Burisma or uh, uh, Alexandra Chalupa, <laughs> all of these uh, random... Great. She's like a great... It's a great name great for name. this yeah. kind of like Democratic villain for the Republicans. Yeah. Um, so for the past few days, I've been looking at uh, media reports in June of uh, earlier this year, because according to one witness, that's when Trump's uh, chief of staff's office first flagged to the budget office that he was interested in Ukraine aid. And I'm struck by how at that point, and even two years ago, Ukraine was used to deflect. Um, it was used to deflect when Donald Trump Jr. acknowledged that he had had this meeting in Trump Tower to get Darn on Hillary Clinton. Um, it was used in June um, to deflect after Trump had an interview with George Stephanopoulos and he said he would be willing to accept dirt from a foreign uh, source again in 2020. Uh, and as we saw over the past two weeks, it's been used now um, to deflect from this impeachment probe. So that's the one thing I think I'll be looking out for um, is it's this sort of all-purpose uh, use of these same sort of four or five articles. I have t- two questions. One is, I saw something, and I can't remember where this was. There was a report sometime over last week, maybe it was even over this weekend, that basically um, there was some major media report, maybe the New York Times or Politico, sometime, uh, you know, maybe early summer or something like that, that said, hey, you know, we're sending some, we're sending a big chunk of military aid to Ukraine. And that apparently that's what got Trump on this. Mm. Like he didn't really even, wasn't paying attention. He sees that and says, ah, wait, I don't want to, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's sort of a, uh, it captures the haphazard nature of so much that goes on in this. I mean, if this is accurate and, and again, wherever I saw this report, it seemed pretty tight uh, that again, it wasn't, it, it, you know, it, it was driven by some media report. Trump didn't even really know what was happening, which would not be surprising because that's how they get a lot of this stuff past him. But once that happened, you know, they showed that like, you know, 36 hours later, he's bringing it up with Nick, uh, Mick Mulvaney or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, what was the other thing I'm going to remember? Well, yeah, I'm but the, like, oh, obviously okay. the Ukraine aid was, you know, congressionally approved. And so, you know, maybe it wasn't even really on his radar until he sees, oh, yeah, where Congress allocated that money, you know. Which yeah, is one yeah. of his, you know, favorite grievances to always <laughs> complain that we're paying more yeah, than other countries. Yeah, yeah. There, what was the, the thing other? that was striking looking back at these these June TV clips, and it might be that report, I'm actually not familiar, um, was that it was it was an existing known in that Rudy Giuliani had already acknowledged in May that he was going to, quote unquote, uh, meddle in an investigation right. in Ukraine on Trump's behalf. Um, and there was already this sense of looking forward to 2020. Um, I think Adam Schiff was interviewed right after the Stephanopoulos interview, uh, Trump and Stephanopoulos, and said, you know, he's he's uh, messaging to foreign to other countries that if you have dirt on my opponents, I'm willing to accept it. So as soon as this interview happened, it set off alarm bells because Ukraine was already in the water. There was already this sense that Trump and Giuliani were interested in it. Right, right. Well, that's it, there's a lot of funny things about the whole progression that 
um, and th- this even this even came out in in some of Sondland's testimony and other people's testimony too. That you've got this thing where it's really about the meetings for a long time, and there's always been kind of this mystery. Like first it's about the meetings, and then suddenly it's about the aid. And 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 one of the things that I thought you know kind of had the ring of truth from Sondland is that you know, where did that come from? Like, I didn't hear about that at the beginning. So, and obviously he wants to make it like, oh, I only found out like the last day. But I, but I did, and obviously that's not true, but it, it did seem clear that that just kind of comes up. And that sort of was an explanation in my mind that they're just trying to muscle him over the meeting. Um, and obviously, since most of his foreign policy team they may be going along with this, but they're they're pretty clearly not crazy about it. They're not going to say, "Hey, what about the you know what about the what about the military aid?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of answered that question mm-hmm. in 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 my mind. There's one other point I wanted to bring up. I want to see if anybody else saw it. Uh, this started. I, I'm spacing on the woman's name. She has a kind of investigative Trump Russia type podcast. Uh, it started as a Twitter thread and then was republished sort of as a full essay in the Just Security blog. But she makes a pretty good argument that this, you know, this no quid pro quo call on September 9th never never happened, mm-hmm. and that he was actually sort of moving up a call that happened on September 7th. Have you guys seen this? I've seen a yeah. little chatter about it, but I, I, I hadn't uh, had a chance to look into it too much. And the Washington Post did a report on this also, right. where they're saying... If if that September 9th call had happened as Sondland claimed it happened, it would have taken place like before dawn in D.C. You know, and and, and they put together a bunch of other evidence that it was kind of contradicting it. Actually, you know, it's took place. I, you know it's funny. I hadn't even thought of that when I was uh, a couple weeks ago when this came up, because my thing with that call has always been that it happens right basically the same day mm-hmm. that the inspector general goes up to Capitol Hill and like f- kind of forces the matter, kind of goes rogue. Mm-hmm. He obeys the DOJ ruling that he doesn't tell them what the report is, but he says there's a report and I'm not allowed to tell you about it, which obviously sets in mo- you know, sets in motion the, the whole chain of events. And um, so my sense on this had been that's why Trump is so defensive, because he knows, right? Because you get a heads up, a day heads up on something like that. And when I went back and looked at the, um, when I looked at the text messages, I, it didn't compute to me until now. I saw that. That kind of like, wait a second. It, like, are these, are the date stamps on these text messages in Ukraine? Or are they in Washington? Because if mm-hmm. they're Washington, it is like three o'clock in the morning or something like this. And like, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense. Because like, I believe that maybe like, Trump is up like rage tweeting at 3 a.m. <laughs> but I don't believe that like some donor dude calls him at 3 a.m. Right. That's not happening. And I, I just kind of couldn't compute it because I kind of figured, I mean, everybody was was taking that whole part of the story at face value. So I figured like, all right, clearly it happened. But and I don't I, I need to go back and look at it. But I think the, the key was that it's not just, well, you know, he said it happened on the 9th, but it really happened on the 7th. There's a lot of a lot of facts change if the call happened then. Right. Sondland, the, what, he, what he claims Trump communicated on the call was reversed between September 7th and 9th, which on the 7th it was, you know, they need to go to a microphone and announce these investigations. And on the 9th it's, 
I don't want anything. No quid pro quo. The strange phrase that Trump seems to have learned, according to Sondland. <laughs> right. Um, and and just do what you've been elected to do, which is a little fishy, but much less so than the seventh. But he said that on the seventh. And the key thing on the seventh, and and I'm trying to remember this. What makes the seventh? And, and what's crazy about this is there's phone records of this. It's not like we have to. You know, this is not like we couldn't figure this out. But um, on the seventh, God, I'm trying to remember this now. It is a. It's a call with Sondland, and Sondland, I think, immediately debriefs Morrison, and Morrison goes to the lawyers and, I think, tells Bolton about it, and he testified about it, and, like, he took notes of it. So basically, and and Trump said no quid pro quo then, too. Mm -hmm. So the point is, it's locked down really tightly mm-hmm. in a lot of other people's testimony based on contemporaneous notes. And that's what makes it seem like it really, the seventh is when it happened and why, you know, people do forget things, but. You it seems like Solomon forgets a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and um, uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And I would, I would strongly recommend it. Again, it's called, the website is called justsecurity.org. It's a, it's a great, it's sort of like a group blog, uh, with a bunch of sort of like uh, fancy credential analyst, <laughs> and yeah, a little, you know, national security yeah. type lawyers, and right. it's really good. And uh, and and this this person whose whose name I don't remember, this is a piece that was published maybe three or four days ago. Cool. Yeah. Well, and I think this is interesting because you know everything we're talking about this like, you know, nitpicking of the timeline and what exactly happened when, you know, this weedy stuff. You know, is that going to be the through line of the impeachment? Is that is judiciary going to try to hammer away at that, or are they just going to decide that that's too much for you know a normal person to follow? Like, is I just and I'm not sure what the answer is. That is there merit in getting into the weeds and figuring out exactly where things fell, or are they going to just try to hammer on the most damning moments that came out from the Intel Committee hearings? And you know, they just put out a video yesterday, I think. Um, kind of, honestly, very kind of low production, but weaving together the most uh, damning moments, you know, just like having clips, um, you know, this the- Vin- Intelligence Democrats? Yeah. Okay. Or, well, I think it's House Democrats okay. more generally, but yeah, having like uh, Vinman do the right matters in America bit and, uh, you know, Gordon Sondland's whole, we were just doing what the president told us to do, just kind of smashing right. all that together. Right. And it was interesting because, you know, I watched it and I was like, they're not all talking about the same thing, you know, and they're ta- they're all, of course, because they specialize in different threads of what happened. And so it's just kind of this super cut of like, bad for Trump, bad for Trump, bad for Trump. But if you just watch that and didn't really know the ins and outs of the narrative, you'd just be like, hmm, I yeah. don't know. It all seems bad, but I don't really know what they're talking right. about. Yeah. It, it is a funny thing. And I go back and forth on this, this basic strategic question. I mean, one thing that seems to be the case is that this Lev Parnas guy is like dying to like you know, flip on every money yeah. and like, you know, where do I need to, <laughs> Does not where do I to need prison, to go to yeah. flip in this town kind of thing? Um, and clearly he must know a lot of bad stuff. Uh, there's, there's these, these, some pretty apparent contradictions in the testimony, but I think what they come back to, and this is kind of what I come back to is that right now, if you are coming to this with anything remotely like an open mind, we know what the president did. Mm-hmm. We know exactly what the president did. We've seen him say it in his own words. Yeah. We have you know, numerous witnesses who all back it up. So I think the reasoning is basically like, 
we've proven it in such an overwhelming. We all know what happened. And if you refuse to 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 accept what happened, clearly you just you, you know, nothing will convince you. And so getting into whether Sunland said this or said that mm-hmm. or maybe like if 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 Lev Parnas was actually also like, you know, smuggling heroin, like, you know, does that really change what the president did since we know exactly what he did? Right. Um, and so because of that, you don't need Giuliani to testify or Bolton or so on. Yeah. I mean, I, that is the reasoning. And I, I certainly see the I mean, partly just as someone as a sort of an investigations nerd, it just it kills me to leave so many things unanswered. But, um, you know, how many side rackets Rudy Giuliani had is fascinating and uh, someone should be held to account for that. But at the end of the day, we still know what Trump was doing. And is that really going to add to what he was doing? That his right. lawyer was also like doing side rackets? Like, not not really. Which it's is not that when, relevant. We, we already know the big picture. Well, that's one of the weirdest facets of what we talked about in a previous episode, that this is a scandal that started at the top essentially it's like what do you do with that you know yeah. it's and it's just so odd because you're now in this position of trying to figure out what state department officials did did he have this call when when most people have never heard of them before right. now but there's no question about trump's yeah. involvement yeah and I, I assume it's just as far as timing goes after the new year the campaign really ramps up and there's not much more time on the calendar to really deal with it right so it's kind of like delaying on other witnesses, court battles over subpoenas. I mean, it just kind of slows it down in a way that's maybe counterproductive. I think that's right. And I think that um, I think the House leadership, I mean, particularly Pelosi, I think they just feel they have found, you know, an unimaginable level of, of abusive power and they just need to impeach him and put him on trial in the Senate. And just because that is their job. And and there's obviously it is above that in political terms, Democrats will accept nothing less. And so you just need to get ahead and do it. And, and you know, kind of no time like the present. And I think that's basically right. It's not like they can't keep investigating right. on their, you know, kind of on their own. And Schiff kind of hinted at that last night on, I think, Rachel Maddow's show said something like, we're continuing to learn new information and the work kind of can continue. And, you know, he didn't have specifics about what that means for the impeachment inquiry, just that, you know, it's still kind of open-ended a bit. Well, even even in a, in a very direct sense, um, as far as I know, like, let's say this takes, you know, a month or so to actually like where he's impeached um the intelligence committee isn't or whoever is going to kind of manage impeachment in 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 the senate they're not bound to the evidence as it stood when they completed their hearings they can come up with all sorts of other stuff and present that evidence so there's really at even in the narrowest terms they've got another six weeks to kind of look look into you know whatever they want to look right. into and they can also just like keep looking i mean if they if they come up with some like you know horrendous new level of scandal next summer i'm sure they're not going to be too bummed about <laughs> yeah. you know kind of bringing it forward even if there's not like a second impeachment or right. something like right that. right and i mean fairly soon we're going to be moving into the senate side of things you know which is run by republicans and which is probably going to look a lot different than what we had now. So I wouldn't be there too surprised if that was a, an attempt at part of the calculation too of the Democrats trying to 
you know, do their part while people are paying attention, hope the Senate part people are worn out or it's close enough to Christmas that nobody cares, you know. And then for Pelosi and co. to just kind of have this like wrapped up present to give to the Democrats who are running. Because, I mean, that's a, a compelling message. Like you watch the House impeachment inquiries, you saw all this evidence, and then his Republican cronies let him off the hook. You know when that's not going to happen is, you know, when I'm in office and when we win back the Senate right. and everything like that. Right. All right. Well, speaking of Lev Parnas, who we were mentioning uh, just a little bit ago, there was a hearing in, in the case yesterday. And just to remind listeners, Lev Parnas, Igor Fruman, these are two um, associates of Rudy Giuliani's who were indicted. Man, when was that? Late October, early November? October 10th. October 10th yeah. mm-hmm. uh, on campaign finance-related yeah. charges, uh, arrested in at like a D.C. airport as they were trying to, <laughs> on the way to the Vienna. leave the country <laughs> on a one-way trip. Matt, you were at a hearing yesterday in downtown Manhattan in this case. Tell us kind of what, what's the latest in the case and what did you learn yesterday? Yeah, so this is a case against uh, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman and two other people, their business associates, and they're all accused of conspiring to bring a foreigner's money into the U.S. election system. We're not sure which foreigner. That's an unindicted uh, co-conspirator. But they are all accused of sort of bringing their grift uh, into U.S. elections. Um, And so yesterday was mainly about the discovery process. When each of these four people was arrested, they had uh, dozens of electronic devices on them um, in total. Lev Parnas had multiple phones, iPad, computer. Uh, Igor Fruman had a satellite phone, I believe, and a a few um, hard or solid state drives or something like that. Um, So just tons and tons of data, bank records. And the opening of this hearing was basically prosecutors laying out all they had seized, uh, defense attorneys sort of complaining about the rate at which um, evidence was being produced for their own teams to be able to prepare for a trial. And uh, prosecutors made a case that, you know, if you wanted to go, if you wanted this to go uh, quicker, you could just give us your passwords, um, which they said they had told Parnas's team multiple times. Um, so that actually, to go back to a previous point, that was uh, something that uh, piqued my interest because this is evidence that could be introduced at the impeachment hearing uh, in the House or Senate. Um, toward the end of the hearing, Parnas's attorneys stood up and said, um, we want to modify the protection um, order that's in place over all of this evidence to allow for Parnas' property, his evidence, to be given to Congress. Um, And the attorneys for the government said, we have no problem with that. The judge said, I have no problem with that. Um, so it got me thinking, what's the holdup with these passwords? You know, that's the biggest, most time-consuming thing. You have FBI agents trying to crack encrypted hard drives and stuff. So it seems like if Parnas is truly willing to cooperate, he will help uh, the government uh, get that data, and it should be made available. I wonder, at first I was going to say, you know, maybe Fruman knows the passwords, right? Maybe he was mm-hmm. the one who actually mm-hmm. had custody of those things. But I get now that I think about it, um, if you're Parnas, you don't want to say, oh, here's the passwords, and Congress says, eh, we don't really care, and then you do like 30 years in prison right. or something like that. Like he right. needs a deal, or he needs some he right. needs some kind of assurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's I, it's it's funny. I, I feel like there was something like this in the Manafort case. I guess the password thing, that's just like a self-incrimination thing. You're like, dude, I don't have to tell you, you know, mm-hmm. you got to 
convict me on your own. I'm not going to help you. And it did go but to that's the point about the investigation was ongoing, they said. And um, at, one, at the same time, he raised the point about evidence. His lawyers raised the point about um, his his uh, release conditions. He wanted to have a few hours to go outside every day. And he's on house arrest in Florida currently. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and prosecutors said, well, he's a flight risk. He has access to private jets. He knows billionaires. And also, we're still investigating him for more crimes, mm-hmm. um, as I think the term they actually use. So um, you're right that, that maybe there's a deal in the works, and maybe that involves non-prosecution agreements for these other things. Maybe that involves passwords. Um, but that, that's the sense I'm, I'm curious. One thing I don't – and I don't know if either of you have, have sort of uh, gotten up to speed on this in, in your reporting. I don't – fully understand the mechanics of Congress's ability to give immunity. Now, I know, I guess specifically, I'm not sure how much of it is use immunity in the sense of you come here, you testify, we are going to, we are going to say you cannot be, you know, you cannot be, you cannot have anything you say to us held against you in court. It's not clear to me the extent to which they can more, you know, have a more blanket, say, you know, we excuse you from this crime. I'm that sure. you might need more of the Justice Department's assistance. Yeah, I don't I would know. Have, I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine. I mean, I don't either. But I would. You know, you could imagine cooperation would look good to you know prosecutors, and they might look favorably on that when you're figuring out how you know well, what that, sort of deal or. You well, know. that's the thing because on the one hand. Um, I mean, from a certain perspective, prosecutors just want to prosecute, right? They're like, you know, your your Congress thing isn't my problem. I want, right. I want to, you know, it's a it's a adversary process. You want to convict people, um, so there's that. There's also the fact that I really suspect the extent that any of this is being led by the senior leadership at the Department of Justice, they don't want, you know, they do not want to help Congress at all. So. It's not, I mean, yes, certainly if you have an agreement, everybody works together, you can just do whatever you want. But I'm sort of assuming that the, that there's not going to be any cooperation at all. And it, it, it's going to come down to what the Congress can do from an adversarial standpoint. Now, obviously, if you say you can probably kind of force the matter, if you, if you um, say you're going to immunize someone for their testimony or anything they admit to like you can you can kind of do it where the person can kind of just come in and say all right here's everything i've done and and basically make prosecution impossible even though technically you're not given immunity but i'm right. very curious to to find out more about that right matt you had mentioned in your piece yesterday a superseding indictment in other words additional charges were likely did they give any hint at that or was it just kind of like what you're saying we're still in investigating you for additional crimes that maybe that would come together? What was your sense there? There was, yeah, there's two parts of that. The first was the judge in the case specifically asking prosecutors, what's the deal with the superseding indictment? And they said one is likely. Um, they didn't specify who it would apply to. Um, and they said they're kind of, they're continuously evaluating that or something like that. And that they would announce any superseding indictment before uh, this thing went to trial. And then separately, like I just mentioned, they, they said that Parnas was still being investigated uh, for potential crimes. So it could be that a superseding... Parnas as opposed to Fruman? Like just Parnas? Well, this came up in discussion of Parnas's release conditions. So okay, it's it. possible the superseding indictment applies to other people or Parnas or both or everything or just to Rudy Giuliani. You know, his name didn't come up, but 
they did uh, say a superseding indictment was likely, and there wasn't really much more detail. Right. Interesting. Well, maybe a, a final point we can end on is a story that you wrote up this morning, Kate, which was that Attorney General Bill Barr, you know, speaking of senior leadership at the Justice Department, that Barr is taking issue with the Inspector General report on the origins of the Russia probe, namely that. You know, it sounds like the IG report has concluded the FBI did have enough in- information to open an investigation into the mm-hmm. Trump campaign. Uh, we don't know exactly what Bill Barr's uh, rebuttal or objection to that will be, but tell us kind of what you know about that story. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the inevitable conclusion to some developments we've seen on both sides of this. Like, uh, news already kind of leaked that in the age in the IG report, uh, they found that the FBI agents, you know, weren't acting from anti-Trump bias, like Trump's camp loves to claim. Uh, that it didn't originate with a steel dossier or with leaks from the CIA or anything like that. So this is the, the kind of inevitable conclusion to that, which is that the FBI did have legitimate information to investigate members of the Trump campaign. And this kind of goes back to a war of words that's been going on for a while with Trump and then Barr saying that, you know, spying occurred, the whole witch hunt thing, with while you have people in the intelligence agency saying you know, the only reason they were scrutinizing the Trump campaign to begin with was because they were going after Russian actors who were trying to meddle in the campaign, who we've now found out worked with some people on the Trump campaign to do so. Um, so it makes sense. Barr has not shown any independence from Trump so far. So he's not going to undermine one of his biggest grievances, which is that the deep state or people within the government were working against his candidacy and his presidency from the start. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's not clear if he's going to, you know, have a kind of written response to accompany the report or if he's going to make some kind of speech. And he has praised Horowitz in general, his work. So he might be trying to walk some kind of a line where he does like some of the other findings in the report. So he's not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's generally, I mean, the, the, the MO with all of Horowitz's reports are that on the big points, they basically state the reality of the situation. Right. But they also try to find a lot of like dust and scraps that they can that he can toss to sort of the Trump folks. So mm-hmm. like when that one the little mini one came out about Comey, it was basically, yep, no prosecution, didn't do anything wrong, but man, he totally sucks. And <laughs> he sucks and he totally sucks and he sucks. And then saying, right. you know, and and all of which is sort of like you know, meaningless, like, okay, he sucks. Great. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that is, the thing that I think is important for people to understand about Barr's apparent reaction to this report, it is not uncommon for an attorney general to bristle or disagree with aspects of an inspector general report, because let's remember, it is an inspector general report. The idea is this is an outside force critiquing the Department of Justice, i.e. the place that Bill Barr runs. So what the norm is, someone will come in and say like, look, there was wrong, there was some wrongdoing in your department. And obviously sort of it's in the nature, it it is almost expected that the person who heads that department will kind of defend the department, Mm -hmm. right? Institutional loyalty, blah, 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 blah. But it's totally unknown for there to be an inspector general report. And the, the attorney general says, I don't buy that we're innocent here. This is a cover-up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you it's, didn't it's go far bizarre. Enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and technically you can say, well, it's before his time, but like, not, 
it's bizarre. It's it, not least of which is the fact that this this is what like the fourth or fifth you know right. go at this set of facts, and c- clearly no no conclusion will be satisfying to him yeah. unless it's basically just cut and pasting uh, the, sort of the highlights of Trump rallies right. where he's just a witch hunt, witch hunt, witch <laughs> right. hunt, right. no collusion, I mean, no corruption, or and, yeah, whatever it is. Exactly. And not to mention the fact that this is one of, you know, Trump and co's biggest arguments that, that, you know, their campaign was wrongfully looked into. People are arrested. People are in jail now. So that just seems to me an odd complaint. It seems like a procedural complaint where you can be like, well, they were right, though. So... And we can bring it back to the beginning if you want, but a lot of people around you are in jail right now. Yeah. Well, and, and even beyond that, what's what's so absurd about this is that even though the legal finding was that Trump or, you know, there, there was no, you know, not enough evidence to say that Trump or anybody tied to him committed a crime with conspiring with Russia, that... <laughs> There's such overwhelming evidence of what the Russians did that they had at least passive cooperation from the Trump campaign, that they had active lines of communication. The fact that this all happened, that is so obviously the basis that you want to take a look and right. see what was going on. The idea that, that I mean, it, it, it's so it, it's just mind boggling if you step back what factual determinations Horowitz would have to make to say, you know what? There was really nothing. There was there was no probable cause for them to take a look at this. You're like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's it's that absurd. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on things this week and and we'll be back next week to see how it all went, I guess. You yes. know, maybe the whole world will change before then. We'll see. It's, it's possible. Yep. Do we do the do we all right. this it? Yeah, let's uh, do it. Uh, remember, uh the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get twenty percent off your first order at Grady'sColdbrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdbrew.com with promo code TPM. Or or if you really need your Grady's quickly, you can go to Amazon.com and get next day delivery. Also remember Subscribe to TPM. Yes. Yes. If you, if, if you haven't, I instruct you to feel bad about yourself <laughs> until you do. It's the holidays. Makes a yeah. great gift. It's it's, a, it's like a festivist thing. Yeah. <laughs> we have a grievance against you if you are not a subscriber. Yeah. You don't want that. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Later. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.